Welcome to America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, Executive Director of Energy Makes America Great. And each week through America's Voice for Energy, I have the opportunity to talk to a variety of experts who help me expand on the topic of each week's column. This week, my column is titled, The XM Bank, by discussing Congress sides with taxpayers and basic market principles. And so this week's show is going to focus 100% on the XM Bank, specifically green energy support provided from the XM Bank. Now, I don't know about you, but worded this topic didn't know that much about the XM Bank. Yes, I've written a lot on what I like to call Obama's green energy corruption scandal. And in a lot of those stories, the XM Bank came up. But I didn't really understand what it was. I knew it was government and I knew it was money, but I really didn't know much more about it than that. This week, as I was talking to some of my personal friends, friends who maybe don't follow politics or energy like I do, and they asked, what are you writing on this week? And I said, the XM Bank. Not a one of them knew what the XM Bank was. So in my column, I had to start with, or I felt I had to start with, some introduction about what is the XM Bank, and then why is it in the news today? It's in the news today because of the authorization, which we'll talk about, is about to expire. And I wrote on this topic this week specifically because a friend reached out to me and said, I know someone who's just releasing a report on XM Bank and their involvement in green energy. And he said to me, because you know so much about green energy, I thought you'd be interested in this. Of course, it piqued my interest, and I reached out to the author of the report, Adam Angievsky, and he is the chairman of American Transparency, and he is joining us here for this first segment today on America's Voice for Energy to talk about specifically their report on the XM Bank. So, Adam, welcome to America's Voice for Energy. Marita, thanks for having me on. Thanks for your deep interest, not only in the green energy uh, crony corruption, as you like to call it, but also our, our micro-report linking the Export-Import Bank, which is up for reauthorization between you know this month here in June in Congress, uh, linking that Export-Import Bank, our authorization, to this green corruption. Yeah, it definitely all connects. As I said in my introduction, tell us a little bit of background on what is the XM Bank. Well, the Export-Import Bank was started back in 1934. It's a New Deal relic from uh, the Roosevelt administration, and the original purpose of the bank was to facilitate U.S. exports into the Soviet Union and into Cuba. Uh, so this bank is a long way. It's more like a lot of government programs do from its original mission. Today, uh, taxpayers, and this is why everybody in your listening audience should care, taxpayers have a $140 billion uh, guarantee against its loan portfolio, and its loan portfolio is guaranteeing loans in some of the worst and most corrupt nations in the world. Help us understand what, what you're talking about, the export-import element of it, and how are we guaranteeing loans to, to people we shouldn't be? 
So the uh, so say a so say you are a domestic exporter and you want to send some product to Angola. Well, there's not an American bank that's gonna that's going to help you make that transaction uh, by by guaranteeing an Angola company uh, or a state-owned enterprise in Angola on that business. Uh, so the Export-Import Bank, functioning the United States government, they come in, they provide the guarantee to the foreign importer, that Angolan company, and you are able to sit there and make your transaction happen. U.S. taxpayers backstop it all. It's amazing. It's amazing. When I read your report and, and delved into this topic, uh, I, I was really amazed at the breadth of it. Uh, what was, as you all worked on this report, what was the most amazing thing to you? Well, I think, you know, let's talk, first let's talk about the exporters. The number one exporter is Boeing. And w since 2007, one out of every $3 that the Export-Import Bank has guaranteed has been on a Boeing transaction. So they're a huge beneficiary of it. In fact, just the top 50 companies did two-thirds of the activity. So this bank... No, no, wait, wait, wait a minute. Does, isn't this, I mean, Hillary Clinton is in favor of reauthorizing the bank because she says it will support small business, and it's important for small business. But you're telling me that Boeing is the number one recipient of taxpayer dollars through the XM Import Bank? I mean, the XM, XM Bank? That's true. So one out of every three transactions, Boeing's been a beneficiary of those transactions. That's why many people, Marita, call this bank the the bank of Boeing because they're so deeply embedded into the export import transactions but it's not only Boeing the number one foreign importer is owned by the Mexican government it's called Pemex and they're the largest oil conglomerate in Mexico and the second largest in all of, all of Latin America it's owned by the Mexican government and United States taxpayers have guaranteed 7.2 billion dollars of exports into Pemex since 2007. And it's interesting that Pemex provides six out of every $10 of Mexican federal taxes. So basically what the United States taxpayer has done is guaranteed revenues into the Mexican federal treasury. Yes, that's amazing. So now, again, what, when you say Pemex is importing, what are they importing from the United States into Mexico? So they're importing all, all different kinds of products from large uh, multinational corporations here with stable cash flows. And so, you know, Export-Import Bank likes to hang out the shingle that they're filling the gaps of commerce that private uh, banks won't lend. But in this case, you've got, you know, Fortune 100 companies in the United States uh, doing a business transaction with the largest oil conglomerate, and la second largest oil conglomerate in Latin America. That's certainly something a private bank would guarantee, but, you know, the United States government bank is guaranteeing that transaction. So what about, you know, you, you talk about that the XM Bank is picking winners and losers. How does that happen? So I wrote a piece at Forbes, and it was uh, basically the title said that XM Bank is picking losers. And we see so in the case of Zero Motorcycles, which we identified in California. And Zero Motorcycles um, is a very, very interesting case because whether it's at the federal level, the state level, or the local level, they've taken about $6 million dollars from all those different levels of government in terms of support. So from the city of, of uh, um, Santa, uh, from their local city in California, <laughs> they've, 
they've uh, they've taken about a half a million dollars. There's been two million dollar grants from the state of California, so two million from the state environmental commission in California just on grants. They have a state and federal subsidy when you buy one of their motorcycles that amounts to a total of twenty five hundred dollars per sale. But XM Bank is guaranteed about three million dollars worth of the overseas exports. So this is this is what we call and what it's done is it's forced their competitor out of business. It was Bramo Motorcycles, and they were actually purchased by Polaris, and Polaris is a client of the Export-Import Bank. And so this is where we get to the, to the uh, hard reality that the heavy boot of government is now picking the losers and the winners within our system. Because if, if the competitors are not getting the same kind of financing, they are inherently losing. It's tough to compete when there's $6 yeah. million dollars of basically your own money used against you. And that's, what, that's why Delta is opposed to reauthorizing the Export-Import Bank. Well, Delta Airlines, their pilots got together and they did a study, and, it's, and what they found was on every single Boeing transaction that taxpayers give cheap finance to the importer of up to $2 million per airplane. Uh, Boeing is from... Uh, headquartered now in Chicago, and we're headquartered in Chicago. So we were paying attention when uh, state and the city of Chicago gave Boeing $62 million to, to move their headquarters here for only 500 employees. So Boeing is definitely one of those corporate welfare queens at all levels. Now, we've only got a few minutes left here. Um, let's jump to your micro-report, as you call it in my column. I refer to it as the addendum. In fact, you know, I don't think we've given the name of your full report and where our listeners can get a hold of it. Let's start with that, and then let's move to your micro-report on green energy. Great. So um, the, our organization's name is American Transparency, and our website, where your listening audience can review all of these reports, is at OpenTheBooks.com. And what we issued was a federal transfer report on the Export-Import Bank, where we gave deep and robust oversight to this small but very powerful federal agency. One of the mandates of this agency comes out of Congress, and Congress says that they must fund green energy projects. So we wanted to know where our money was flowing in terms of the guarantees on these loans and the direct lending into the green energy industry. One of the first things that we found was companies that have gone out of business has, have received uh, uh, working capital loans. So the first one was Amex, and $9 million of working capital went directly to this U.S. company. There was no exports on this or anything else. It just was a working capital loan, and over the course of a year, they went out of business. Another one that we found in, in a similar circumstance was Soul Focus in California. And uh, particularly, this one was very interesting because XM gave them working, cap, working capital, basically cash, twice in two successive years for the same amount and it was four million nine hundred it was one dollar short of five million dollars which is a very very interesting and questionable amount and this was it, it is in, in all the work i've done on this kind of stuff they're always <laughs> nice even numbers so that is a strange one absolutely and so you know sole focus when they got the last one they they 
uh, in the months that followed, closed the doors. They went out of business. Uh, there's also a lot of other, you know, we highlighted 10 of them. And so it's evergreen solar like in Massachusetts. And what we find is XM is also participating alongside other government agencies. And you've studied this a lot, Marita, and it comes out of the Department of Energy with massive, yes. oftentimes massive, massive grants and loan guarantees out of the Department of Energy. It also comes out of our state capitals. And so specific to evergreen solar, they were the uh, the fan, fan favorite of the Massachusetts political class, and $50 million of Massachusetts state money flowed into Evergreen Solar. $31 million flowed from the Export-Import Bank into backing these company, into the backing this company, and they're Chapter 11. They filed for bankruptcy. So, you know, the Wall Street Journal dubbed this company Nevergreen Solar. So, you know, as uh, Governor Mitch Daniels liked to say, those in government, when they pick winners and losers, they think there are benevolent betters, but they don't see it any better than any of us. And we need to get back to basic free market principles picking the winners and losers. Those with the best idea at the end of the day win, and a government bureaucrat can never pick that company. Well, and as we've seen, it's not just a picking a winner. There's crony corruption uh, all over the place. Let's talk with, about that. Let's talk well, about we, that. We're, we're about out of time, Adam. We're, we've only got you, – you can have 10 seconds. So my soul was uh, purchased by Hanergy of China, a state-owned company, for, uh, but XM, not before XM put $63 million into their transactions and $100 million out of the Department of Energy. Well, we've got several upcoming segments. We're going to talk with Deroy Murdoch, uh, Tim Carney, and Nick Loris, and we're going to be talking about some of those corruptions. So stay with us on America's Voice for Energy. Adam Andrzejewski from American Transparency, thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for your interest in the program. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. The United States Justice Foundation since 1979 has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. 
This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Energy. Today we're having an uh, interesting discussion on the XM Bank. And as I mentioned in the first segment, when I first started looking at this topic, it was a couple years ago when I was writing on what I like to call Obama's green energy crony corruption scandal. Within that, I addressed how many of these companies, these green energy companies, were funded by the XM Bank, but frankly, I didn't know what the XM Bank really was until I got into it to write this week's column, which can be found on Breitbart.com. But I'm excited to have Tim Carney joining us for this segment. He's a columnist with the Washington Examiner, which has published some of my work in the past as well, and a visiting fellow with the American Enterprise Institute. But as I was doing research on this topic, I saw that Tim Carney had written a lot on XM, and as we were preparing to, to record this segment, I asked Tim, what would you like to talk about? And he said, XM is my favorite subject. So, Tim, welcome to America's Voice for Energy, and I'm delighted to have you with us today to talk about the XM Bank. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. What do you find? so much on XM, and as I admitted, I honestly have not done a lot, didn't even really understand what it was until I wrote this week's column. What do you find in your work that is the biggest misconception or lack of understanding that the average American has? It's a lot of people look at Export-Import Bank and say, if you believe in the free market, you might say, okay, I think that people should buy and sell goods however they want, and I don't like subsidies, but they point to other governments that do the same sort of thing that the Export-Import Bank does. So they say Airbus, which competes with Boeing, it makes jumbo jets in Europe, and Europe subsidizes it. They say, well, in a perfect world, we wouldn't need to subsidize Air, uh, Boeing exports, but look, Europe is subsidizing Airbus, or in a perfect world, we wouldn't need to subsidize American solar subsidies, but look, Spain is subsidizing theirs, so we need to counter it. And it's sort of, it, at, at first glance, it makes sense as kind of a fairness argument, but then you look deeper and you think, if you do believe in, the free, enter, in free enterprise, and you look at the economic studies, they hold it up, these countries are hurting themselves when they subsidize their businesses. China is not helping itself by having a government backstop for all of its companies. It's depriving its economy of the dynamism of free enterprise. So these other countries are hurting themselves, and a lot of people say, oh, well, because they're doing that, we need to emulate them. And that makes no more sense than, you know, punching yourself in the face because your little brother is punching himself in the face. <laughs> Good analogy. I was surprised in my research, and I did not put this in my column because it didn't really pertain to the direction that I was going. And as I'm sure you understand, there's always far more than you can yeah. put in a piece than, uh, than the word count allows for. But I was surprised to see that uh, the, I believe it was the CEO or the, the president of the was to uh, these loans going to foreign countries to buy Boeing airplanes. Why is that? Do you know? Yes, because one of the things it does, if you drive up, the, if you make it easier through subsidies for foreign companies to buy airplanes, that does two things. It drives up the price of airplanes for American companies, plus 
it subsidizes the U.S. companies that are – it subsidizes the foreign competitors that are competing with U.S. companies. So imagine if you were competing against a company in Russia and the U.S. government was giving them a subsidy. That wouldn't make you happy, and that's exactly what happens with the airlines, is that Air India gets a subsidy. So they get their airplane for cheaper. You drive up the demand for airplanes, so Delta has to pay more. But then Air India, because it has cheaper airplanes, is able to undercut Delta in flying certain routes between the U.S. and Asia or the U.S. and Europe. And this has happened, and it's caused Delta jobs when it's happened. While helping Boeing, it's hurting Delta. It's a government picking a winner and not admitting it, but also picking a loser. Interesting. I didn't quite understand what the Delta, you know, rationale was there, but but I certainly see that makes sense. Now, you know, it's interesting that Russia has purchased, using XM financing, uh, 50 airplanes from Boeing, was it back in 2009, I believe, and Hillary Clinton's involvement in that. Have you delved into that? I haven't looked into that, but I tell you, my column that I'm, I'm writing in the Washington Examiner right now, I call it Export-Import Bank, the International Bank of Clinton, that Hillary and Bill Clinton are just so tied up in this that you have top, uh, you have Goldman Sachs. They used to own a uh, part of Hawker Beechcraft, which sells private jets. So Goldman Sachs is lobbying the State Department on the Export-Import Bank. Hillary Clinton says her State Department's working on Export-Import Bank issues. Goldman Sachs pays $200,000 for a speech, and Export-Import Bank approves a $75 million loan to China, to the Chinese government, so that they can buy these private jets made in part by uh by Goldman Sachs, basically. So that's the sort of thing. That's not the sort of populist message you think Hillary would be getting across. But everywhere you look, the Clinton machine is tied up with this, uh, with Export-Import Bank, which makes sense. It's big business, big government, and foreign governments all, all together, and that's where you're going to find sort of Hillary Clinton's sweet spot. Yeah, the nexus there. Yeah, because the Washington Examiner, not your writing, but someone else that I quoted in my column, has a piece on Clinton World and XM and how Boeing, after they sold these 50 airplanes to the Russian airline, which I can't pronounce, so I'm just calling it the Russian airline, but after they sold 50 airplanes, that Hillary had encouraged the Russian airline to apply for XM financing. And actually, when I read that, it helped me understand how how XM is involved, so the Russian company is able to finance the purchase of 50 Boeing jets through the XM bank, again, meaning taxpayer dollars, and then um, months later, Boeing donates $900,000 to the Clinton Foundation. Exactly, and so there's a very close uh connection between and again if you i see it from a broader perspective that whenever government is in the business of subsidizing business if you're somebody who describes yourself as pro-business you still shouldn't like this because what does it do it gives the politicians the power-hungry politicians an opportunity to control business more xm has decided to cut off funding for coal-fired power plants so what this does is it was subsidizing all sorts of energy things and now it still subsidizes nuclear and uh wind and solar oh, and, and exxon mobile and slum- Halliburton. 
Yeah, and but it won't subsidize coal anymore. So what does it do? By raising the subsidies for everybody in energy, but then cutting it off for coal, that's a net. That's picking winners and losers. It in most certainly is. Yeah, and that's the way that's the way it works. So if even if you're not sort of a diehard free market person, but just sort of generally pro business, you should look at this and say, wait a second. Whenever the government gets involved in this sort of thing, what ends up happening is it picks winners and losers, and that's going to be bad for business, and it's going to be good for government. Now, most of the Republican candidates are against reauthorizing the XM Bank, which we talked about in the first segment about why we have to reauthorize and all of that. So most of the Republican candidates are opposed to that, except for Lindsey Graham. Yeah, Lindsey Graham is very uh, – well, first of all, he's the least conservative besides maybe George Pataki of all the candidates running. And he's generally the most sort of pro-government, whether it's foreign policy or national security. Um, and he's just very close with the with sort of the, the defense contractors, a lot of whom like this. And he just doesn't sort of have the, the free enterprise principles. But all the rest of them – I mean, even Rick Perry, who used to be for it, has realized that it was a mistake. Oh, uh, really? And then you've got Jeb Bush, you've got uh, Rand Paul, you've got Ted Cruz, all of these guys. Marco Rubio, they're opposed to it. Rubio and Cruz helping lead the charge against it in the Senate behind Senator Mike Lee, who's really the, the champion on the issue. Um, and so all the conservatives are on that side. And then you've got sort of Lindsey Graham and Hillary Clinton on, on the pro accent side. Yes, I called Hillary Clinton and Lindsey Graham strange bedfellows. Yes. Um, yeah, and uh, and you know Maxine Waters is on the. She's a Democratic Congresswoman from California. She's pro XM. So there's a lot of Republicans who are in support of it, but they're putting themselves in company of Hillary Clinton and against people like Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush, and Paul Ryan. Yeah, and it, it, it's amazing the uh, green energy. We we've, we've got like about three minutes left, and I know you've written specifically on Solyndra. I did like in my column two sentences about Solyndra, but you've written specifically about Solyndra and XM. Yes, so Solyndra got at least one big deal, and I think some small deals where their exports were subsidized by XM. They didn't end up costing the taxpayer money directly because the loan was, as you said, to a foreign buyer, not to Solyndra. But what you can see in it is that when you look at Export-Import Bank's documents, they estimate that it, it helped support exactly 0.00 jobs. And the reason for that is that Solyndra had already sold the solar panels and the construction on one phase had already been completed before um, before the government came in with the financing. So I saw this as an attempt by the government to sort of prop up, speed up the payment to Solyndra in the hope that it wouldn't collapse because they knew that the Department of Energy loan that had been guaranteed by the government was uh, was about We're to threatened. go on. Exactly, that they were trying to save them from collapsing by providing the financing, which did not help make a sale. It just sped up the rate at which Solyndra got paid. Yeah, and and maybe maybe forestalled their failure by a few but, months. Or, or maybe by a day at most from what it was. <laughs> What other green energy connections have you discovered with XM? 
Well, so they, they're really tilting the, the playing field on that day, and we had a almost almost exactly the same story, the deal of the year and the sort of the green energy deal of the year that XM announced at its recent annual conference was for Siemens. Very strong connections between Obama and Clinton and Siemens. Top lobbyist works for Siemens, used to work for uh, Obama. Uh, you had Madeleine Albright worked at Siemens while her daughter was at the Export-Import Bank, all these connections. Oh, anyway, I didn't got, know those. They got a big deal for a wind farm down in uh, Peru, and the wind uh, turbines were built in the U.S., but again, the wind farm was already up and running by the time the U.S. provided the subsidy. So all it did was help Siemens, help the, the, the foreign companies that were doing business down there make more profit on a sale they had already made. That's not helping create jobs. That's simply corporate welfare. Yeah, and Siemens is a German-based company, yeah, and yeah. many of the companies that got these subsidies or got these support, uh, XM support, are foreign companies. Yeah, and I mean, by definition, the direct buyer who gets the subsidy is going to be a foreign company. A lot of times it's a foreign bank that gets the guarantee, and sometimes it's even a foreign company that's the, the U.S. exporter, but they do some of their manufacturing in the U.S., so they get the subsidy. So we've had Chinese companies selling goods to Chinese companies with a Chinese bank providing the financing, and the U.S. XM comes in and backs it up, so the tax, U.S. taxpayers bear the risk. Oh, that's, these are scary stories. I'm glad that we're having this opportunity to talk about this today, and, and uh, we've got a whole hour-long show on this, first and last segment, uh, with uh, Adam Andrew Zwicky from American Transparency, Kim Carney, we're talking with Nick Loris from Heritage Foundation. Kim, tell us where people can find your forthcoming column that you're working on right now. Look at WashingtonExaminer.com. You can also find my work at AEI.org or follow me on Twitter, T.P. Carney. That's short for Timothy Patrick Carney. Great. Timothy Patrick Carney with the American Enterprise Institute and the Washington Examiner. Thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. This week, we're talking specifically about the XM Bank. Now, some of my friends, when they heard that I was writing on the XM Bank, said, what is it? Others said, 
Why are you writing on that? What does that have to do with energy? And as we've talked about, this report from American Transparency addresses the broader issues of the XM Bank and has a special addendum addressing green energy. But for this segment, we're talking with Deroy Murdoch, who happens to be an, on the advisory board of American Transparency. And he wrote an op-ed specifically titled Titled, Congress Should Kill the Export-Import Bank. And I tell you, Deroy, the more I get into this subject, and I didn't really know much about it until I wrote my op-ed on it, the more you get into this, it's amazing that anyone could possibly support the Export-Import Bank because it's filled with corruption, as you commented in your op-ed. So as we begin, Deroy, uh, Deroy Murdoch, Welcome to America's Voice for Energy. Thank you, Marita. It's good to be on with you. Thank you. So what, what did you find so fascinating uh, about the corruption angle in the XM Bank? Uh, I'd always thought the XM Bank was one of these little agencies that had a small budget and maybe made life easier for American exporters and maybe some importers and maybe not uh, my favorite agency, but nothing perhaps as egregious as the Department of Education or, or the, a lot of these other really egregious uh, uh, agencies in Washington, D.C., but as I read this report by American Transparency, on whose advisory board I am, as you mentioned, uh, they looked at $172 billion in loans, guarantees, and, and transactions between 2007 and 2014, so we're talking about a lot of money, and what we found was just uh, not you know, some small mom-and-pop shop or, or, or tiny uh, company trying to take its first baby steps into uh, international business, but huge companies like Boeing, like Bechtel, like General Electric, and others getting all sorts of money from American taxpayers to go out and sell stuff overseas. And I'm all for American companies exporting, but when you're Boeing or General Electric or Westinghouse, you've got a lot of money, and I don't think you need help from American taxpayers to go out and sell Exactly, exactly. Uh, and then you've got uh, one of the biggest recipients of money from the Exim Bank, I think about $7.2 uh, billion, uh, Pemex, which is the Mexico, Mexico's government-owned oil company with assets. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you're bringing that up, them up because even though I do energy, in my column, I don't really have time to get into Pemex. So, so please continue. Yeah, Pemex is, is the uh, government-owned oil monopoly in Mexico. Uh, the good news is they recently have decided to open Mexico to a foreign investment for, for the first time in 100 and change years. Uh, but they've got 138,000 workers. They have 415 billion. It's 415 billion taxpayer uh, exposed, getting exposed to 7.2 billion dollars in potential losses to help out uh, a foreign-owned massive uh, oil monopoly. I mean, it's just bizarre and grotesque that uh, that an American waiter or waitress or truck driver or or a UPS delivery person, whatever, uh, would have that person's tax money being uh, being shoveled down to Mexico to, to help out a uh, com a country with a, a company or by, by the government of Mexico with $415 billion in assets. I mean, that's just bizarre and twisted. It is. It's amazing. And it so one thing what's the rationale for helping Pemex? Uh, I think the idea is that uh, we want to make it as easy as possible for uh, companies overseas that want to buy American imports to or American exports to send them overseas to make uh, favorable favorable deals so that they can um, have the money available to purchase American products. That's what banks are for. And if for whatever reason Pemex is unable to sell its assets or go, go mar borrow money from a Mexican bank or borrow money from an American bank, uh, maybe the transaction doesn't make any sense. Uh, but if you've got $415 billion in assets and you're sitting on tremendous oil wealth, you ought to be able to figure out some way 
to get the financing prepared to go to Halliburton or to Bechtel or whatever it is and purchase whatever goods or services you want to buy from the United States without having to put the American taxpayer on the hooks. Yeah, and you know, you bring up an interesting point. I've written excessively, or extensively maybe, to me it seems excessive, but I've written extensively on what I like to call Obama's green energy crony corruption scandal. And what you just said is one of the things that I've repeatedly said, which is, you know, if this was a good deal, banks would happily loan to them. And that that's what's happened in a lot of the green energy situations and the special addendum that American Transparency did found that many of these green energy companies that we've heard about, such as Solyndra, which we talked about with Tim Carney in the last segment, uh, but there's many others that people have never heard of, that they received uh, XM money and or, uh, or XM support, as we call it, and then went out of business. So if these were good deals, uh, they'd be able to get commercial financing and wouldn't need the XM Bank. That's right. And if it turns out the deal's not a good one, then the bank, the private bank has got to deal with it, and they either will see their profits go down, they'll have to lower their dividend, their stock price drops, whatever it may be. But when it's the XM Bank, then guess who's on the hook? Your listeners, you and me, yeah. our neighbors. We the taxpayers. That's, that's we the taxpayers. That's completely inappropriate. Um, I also was very surprised in this report to find out how corrupt this outfit is. Uh, the Inspector General at the Exim Bank at the moment is looking into as many as 40, one, four, zero, 40 different cases of fraud. Uh, we've got a case of uh, somebody who just left April 22, just uh, not very long ago, a few weeks ago. Um, he, was, he pleaded guilty to taking $78,000 in bribes recommending loan applications for a company that already received $25 million from Exim Bank. And it, um, he apparently had covered up the previous um, uh, applications, they'd, uh, previous loans they'd had on which they defaulted. So he covered that up when they were applying for more loans. And you may recall back about um, 2009, Congress, former Congressman William Jefferson, a Democrat of Louisiana, New, a New Orleans area congressman, he literally had $90,000 in yes. cash. I mean, $90,000 in cash hidden in his freezer. And it turns out that money was tied to some sort of an effort to open the doors for people who are trying to get money uh, from the Exim Bank. So, uh, so in addition to being uh, wasteful, inappropriate uh, corporate welfare, uh, this isn't even honest. We've got all sorts of corruption uh, rife throughout the Exim Bank. So the best thing for Congress to do, if they do absolutely nothing by June 30th, it goes kaput, it goes away, and the uh, best thing Congress can do is just let the damn thing die. Yes, in my column I wrote, this is one time when a do-nothing Congress is a good thing. Absolutely right. Absolutely correct. They do nothing. <laughs> All they have to do is do nothing. But, you know, speaking of corruption, let's look at Hillary Clinton and, and the XM Bank. As a presidential candidate, she has come out in support of this. Well, most of the Republican candidates oppose it, except for Lindsey Graham is the only one that's really gone on record and coming out in favor of reauthorizing the XM Bank. But what about the Clinton connection? Well, this sounds very typical of, of uh, Hillary Clinton. You know, she claims to be the uh, uh, the voice of uh, everyday Americans, and she's close to the people, and she's just like us, et cetera, et cetera, while she's got her $130 million in the bank. Uh, I calculated that between when they left office and now, the Clintons uh, earn about $6,000 per hour each, 6000 per hour. So I guess it's just oh, like you gosh. and me, right? Yeah, yeah, she's just, just like us regular folks. Uh, That's right. And, and a, lot of it, a lot of this is, okay, you, you – uh, hire me to come give a speech for three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand dollars in exchange. All these magic deals happen. You make tons of money. This happens with her husband as well. 
This is laid out in great detail in Peter Schweitzer's book, Clinton Cash, that discusses the Clinton Foundation and how it's operated as basically a giant, uh, uh, both slush fund and, I think, corruption pump for the Clintons. And my favorite uh, vignette in there is where, uh, in order to get uh, uh, approved as Secretary of State for the Obama administration, uh, what uh, Hillary Clinton had to do was agree to three, th three things. Uh, one of them was that uh, all of the Clinton Foundation's donations would be uh, disclosed once a year. Uh, number two, any uh, there would be no donations from foreign governments or from companies owned by foreign governments. And number three, uh, Bill Clinton, any time he talked, gave a speech to a foreign government or foreign government-owned company, would have to get permission from the State Department. Well, they violated all of the above. But while they were negotiating the deal, one person sitting on the table was representing the Clinton Foundation, and on the other side of the table was a woman named Cheryl Mills who was representing the Obama administration in this negotiation. Cheryl Mills, while she was negotiating that deal, was on the board of directors of the Clinton Foundation. So she's on both sides of the table simultaneously while she's negotiating this deal. And then she becomes the chief of staff for Hillary Clinton. I mean, the, that sort of thing sounds like it, like a, a scene from Venezuela or Argentina or Tanzania yes. or Indonesia or some country like that in the third world. Uh, it doesn't sound like the way that the United States of America behaves. So uh, Hillary Clinton, you know, she wants to become president of Argentina or president of uh, Venezuela. Uh, well, they, they can they can knock themselves out with her, but my hope is that her entire campaign unravels, and not November of next year, uh, but sometime in the next month or two, so we can get her out of the way and then <clears throat> worry about liberals who at least will be honest liberals as, as opposed to a corrupt, cronyistic uh, uh, types of liberals as she and her husband are. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I, it, I think it's imperative that our next president, whoever it may be, is someone who really understands energy, of course, that's probably no surprise because that's my thing, But and the role that it plays in America, because we've seen under this administration a real uh, attack on, on energy, the energy industry, and the energy that actually works, starting with coal, going to natural gas, and, and to oil as well. So, uh, and Hillary Clinton, uh, from her from what the energy statements she has made, we can expect more of the same from a President Hillary Clinton. Uh, I agree with that, and I think it's actually even worse because um, even if you disagree with Obama's view on the Keystone Pipeline, for example, uh, at least he's come out and said, all right, he's opposed to it. Uh, we've spent months and months and months where Hillary Clinton said, oh, I'm not going to comment on that. This is one of the biggest issues facing the country, facing the unions, facing Democrats. And if she wants to be for things like that as we are, terrific. If she wants to be opposed to it, we know where she is and we can disagree with her. But she says, oh, I'm just not going to comment, which is an utter vacuum of leadership, which is not what we expect out of the President of the United States. I mean, if you, if you, you have a good free market perspective, great. If you're big, big government socialist, you and I don't like that, but at least we know where you stand. She yeah, at least tell stand. us. Yeah, at least tell us where you stand. She refuses to do that, which is a, an utter collapse of leadership. So I think she's completely, totally uh, inept and, and uh, totally ill-suited to the position. Yeah, Doroy Murdoch, I did a terrible job introducing you. I mentioned that you are on the advisory board of American Transparency with the website OpenTheBooks.com, who's done this study, which prompted my column and what we're talking about today. And you and I met when you were speaking in Albuquerque, New Mexico. But for our listeners, tell them, you know, what else should they know about you? You're, you're on Fox News regularly. Uh, sure. Well, I'm a, uh, I live in New York City. I'm a Fox News contributor and have been for, I think this is my fourth year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and I'm also a contributing editor with National Review Online. Um, I'm a, um, 
um, a senior fellow at the Atlas Network. We support about uh, 465 or so free market think tanks in, I believe, 90 countries. Uh, the best way to understand what we do is we're sort of like Johnny Cato seeds. So we help launch and nurture uh, free market think tanks in the United States and overseas. Uh, our website is uh, atlasnetwork.org. And uh, my op-ed pieces are available uh, if you look at uh, National Review online or nationalreview.com and, and look at uh, authors and look for my name. You'll see uh, probably literally about 1,200, 1,300 pieces. Wow. How often do you write? Now. How frequently do you write out an op-ed? Uh, I do at least a piece a week, depending how busy things are. I more likely do two or three, and then if it's uh, you know a few days before the election, it can be a piece a day. Uh, wow. I do one a week, occasionally two, and it, it just nearly kills me to produce one a week. And um, I write strictly on energy, but you write on a kind of across-the-board free market topics? I write pretty much about whatever gets me agitated. And every day I wake up and <laughs> something gets me upset, and then I pretty much my, my fingers start flying across the keyboard. <laughs> well, but you, you do have a free market perspective. Is that Am I yes. accurate? I, I describe myself as a uh, registered Republican and a practicing libertarian and very much, uh, very much a Reaganite. Well, that's good. I, I, that's a, that's a, a good description. I appreciate you joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. DeRoy Murdoch, your current piece is Congress Should Kill the Export-Import Bank. Or actually, that may not be your current piece, but it's the one we're talking about today. That's correct. I think it's actually my re most recent piece, So, and it's available at nationalreview.com if your uh, listeners would like to give it a read. Well, great. Sir Roy Murdoch, thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. We'll be right back. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to America's Webradio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to our final segment of America's Voice for Energy. Today we're talking about the XM Bank and specifically the distribution of taxpayer dollars to energy companies, green energy projects and traditional energy companies as well. And now we're going to talk with Nick Loris from the Heritage Foundation where he is the senior policy analyst focusing on energy and the environment. So, Nick, welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. Oh, thank you for having me. So what, how, what's your interest level in this whole XM project and our XM Bank and especially uh, the green energy? Why, why are you all tracking this? Well, it's corporate welfare at the least and simply not the role of the federal government. And so what we've seen, you know, for the past few decades really is that the government has tried to ramp up uh, renewable energy technologies through a 
variety of different mechanisms, whether it's cash grants, targeted tax credits, uh, loan guarantees that gave us Alindra. One that slides under the radar is the XM Bank, and we have you know a couple billion dollars financed uh, in renewable projects from the year 2009 to 2013, and they have specific mandates focusing on promoting renewable energy technology. And again, this is simply not the role of the federal government. If these technologies are economically viable, they shouldn't need help and support with the taxpayers' backing. Yeah, and that's exactly the, the issue that at stake here is this is taxpayer dollars, and that's what I hope our listeners uh, get from this whole thing is we've got taxpayer dollars going to A, risky green energy projects, as you said, that if they were viable, public funding would go for them, and to traditional companies like ExxonMobil. And, and so, like, why are our taxpayer dollars going to ExxonMobil? I don't think they need them. Yeah, that, and that's funny. On Exxon's website, they tout the fact that the U.S. is a technological leader in oil and gas exploration, distribution, and, and refining abilities, and that's exactly why we don't need the taxpayer backing them. And, in fact, oil and gas and traditional energy sources have gotten more than renewables, uh, and we should get rid of them all. But the fact that we have such a robust and competitive uh, oil and gas sector, they should be able to secure financing no matter what. And really, any energy technology should, because the reality is the ability to turn our lights on and the ability to get our uh, vehicles from point A to point B isn't going anytime, any, anytime soon. And so you have a multi-trillion dollar market opportunity. Any technology that can capture a sliver of that market is going to make tons in profit annually that they're not going to need these handouts in the first place. Yeah, it's very surprising. I, I was personally surprised to learn of that. So what are some of the green energy issues for XM? Well, part of the problem is because there is this uh, mandate that the inspector general found that these are some of the riskiest loans being made. Uh, and they analyzed the, the reported risk rating and the default rate of these sub-portfolios, renewable energy being one of them, and found that you know, the renewable ones are most likely at the highest risk of default, um, you know, because they're so uneconomically competitive that you know, they, they just can't make it. And we've seen that in the United States with traditional financing mechanisms that were propped up by the taxpayer. And so not only by uh, pushing renewable technology are you providing the corporate welfare, but you're also because they're trying to meet politically defined levels rather than economically rational ones, you're really putting the taxpayer's money at risk. Now, you mentioned politically defined levels. And in my work on this topic, and you've done more on it, uh, I'm sure, uh, I didn't see the, what you mentioned there about the inspector general found that these mandates within XM are their charter or whatever you call it, are there specific mandates that say they must give a certain amount uh, or percentage or whatever uh, to green energy projects? Yeah, that's right. And so there's a congressional mandate that requires XM direct 10% of its financial authorizations to, quote, renewable energy and environmentally beneficial transactions. Now, and when did that take place? Because I'm sure that was not part of the original 1945 Act that created uh, the XM Bank as an independent agency. 
It wasn't, and I don't know the specific year, but I, I believe it was sometime in the in the 2000s. It might have even been with the Obama administration, but I'm not positive. Uh, but that's uh-huh. why you've okay. seen XM Finance be ramped up over the you know past five to six years for renewable energy because they're trying to meet uh, this uh, renewable mandate. And despite the growing electricity demand around the world and the growing clean tech sector, XM still had difficulty meeting that 10% mandate. Uh, because there are just so many uh, few, or there, excuse me, there are so few opportunities to finance uh, green energy at an economically uh, sustainable rate, and they need all the handouts they can get, and sometimes even that's not enough. Yeah, it's because there's been uh, from the report that American Transparency released on Monday, just this week, they released an addendum to their report that specifically addressed the green energy, and uh, I believe they said they came up with $170 million um, of uh, funds in the green energy portfolio that where, the, where the projects failed. Yeah, and again, that's no surprise. And again, that what we've seen here in the United States uh, is about the same. And despite uh, a lot of touting that the renewable industry is taking off, that costs are coming down, what we see is once either the subsidies go away, the industry falls flat, or that they continually need these subsidies to stay competitive with conventional sources of energy like coal, oil, or natural gas. Uh, so that's, again, for the market to determine, but when you have policies that artificially prop up these industries, you know, I think it does a lot more harm to the long-term viability of these industries by having them fail to recognize the true price point at which they become economically competitive with conventional sources of energy. And until you get rid of those subsidies, you know, they're going to continually spend their time lobbying to Congress rather than focusing on innovating and lowering costs. Yeah, and I've seen a lot. I've, I've been. I spent a lot of time this spring uh, in the southeast part of the country, uh, working with legislators, writing op-eds, and trying to educate the public over these solar subsidies, particularly in Louisiana, where they have the most generous subsidies. I realize I'm a little off track here off of XM, but you're talking about subsidies, and the industry is just desperately lobbying to keep these subsidies in place because without them, uh, they're just plain not viable. Oh, exactly. And you have this huge investment tax credit, 30% uh, of a federal income tax credit for solar projects that's uh, eligible until the end of 2016. You have the Department of Energy with its Sunshot Initiative that has a specific goal of lowering the cost of energy to become competitive with other sources of electricity, which is by far and away not the role of research and development within DOE, but a, a subsidy in and of itself, not to mention all of the Department of Defense projects. Uh, I believe at the end of the fiscal year 2013, there were 885 renewable energy projects, and 511 of them were solar projects. So, uh, again, these are the subsidies that are masked by, uh, you know, different projects, different names, where we don't necessarily consider them subsidies in the traditional sense of the word, but that's exactly what they are. Yes, I was speaking, I've mentioned this on, on America's Voice for Energy previously, but I was speaking in Mexico a couple weeks ago, and I wrote a column uh, to Dr. Ben Carson, who made a comment about the $4 billion in subsidies that fossil fuel, the fossil fuel industry gets 
and he made a statement about, well, we should take that $4 billion and use it for ethanol refueling stations. And when I heard that, I was kind of like, what? What did you <laughs> yeah. say? And so I wrote a column uh, specifically to him, but, of course, I used it as a vehicle to address uh, these so-called subsidies. But I was speaking the week I wrote that. Uh, I, I wrote it, it came out on Monday and on Thursday or Wednesday, I guess it was, not that it matters. I was speaking in New Me in Mexico, not New Mexico, I was speaking in Mexico to a conservative group of expats uh, in a community outside of Guadalajara. And as I was speaking, I asked them, when you think of the word subsidy, what do you think of? And they all basically answered back, a cash payout of taxpayer dollars. And my, I pointed out that that's why President Obama uses that term subsidy uh, when he talks about the $4 billion in fossil fuel industry, which is really more tax credits and, and things like that. And in my column, I kind of dissected where that money uh, comes from. But when we're talking about the XM Bank and these green energy projects, we really are talking about a cash payout of taxpayer dollars, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. And, and, in fact, part of the stimulus program allowed the solar industry to take cash grants in lieu of the investment tax credit. And these are targeted tax credits. You know, I think as conservatives and libertarians, whatever the case may be, you want lower tax rates, but you don't want these targeted tax credits that go to specific industry and uses the tax code to pick winners and losers in the marketplace. And that's the difference between some of the oil and gas tax credits that are broadly available uh, to the manufacturing base versus right. the wind production tax credit and the solar investment tax credit that go to specific industries. Can you expound on that just a little bit more about, you said about the tax credits that are broadly available to the whole manufacturing sector versus the targeted ones that only go, for example, to win? Can you expound on that a little more? Sure. You know, about half of that $4 billion number that the Obama administration continually cites as an oil and gas subsidy uh, is based on the what's called the Section 199 Manufacturing Tax Credit. And this is a broadly-based tax credit that goes to all of the manufacturing industries in the United States. And manufacturing is so broadly defined that even the New York Times gets it for manufacturing a newspaper. So if, it really excludes the service industry, such as restaurants and, and things like that. And if we want to get rid of the 199 tax credit, we should get rid of it for everybody and broadly exactly. lower the rates, not just pick it up and get rid of it for the oil and gas industry, whereas, you know, the wind production tax credit is a specific handout to wind. The solar investment tax credit is specific to rooftop uh, solar for commercial and residential buildings, and so there's a, a huge, huge difference as to what the Obama administration calls an oil and gas subsidy versus these targeted tax credits, which are actually subsidies to specific industries. I appreciate you clarifying that. On my Ben Carson piece, I had a link to the Heritage Foundation uh, primer, I called it, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, on that subject. It was very helpful. And as I'm sure you know, Nick, because you do a lot of writing, you can't always include everything in a, in a you know, the word count you're given. You can't include <laughs> yeah. everything you, you want to cover. You kind of have to really pick and stay right on, on target. So uh, I appreciate you, you clarifying that. Back to XM Bank, what do you think is going to happen with this reauthorization? 
You know, that's a great question, and I'm usually bad at making predictions. I predicted that Keystone XL would be built by now, so you can tell how, how good I am at making predictions. Uh, but I think the momentum is definitely moving in the right direction to allow this to expire, uh, mostly because, you know, people are fed up with corporate welfare, and so they don't want to see their taxpayer dollars, you know, backing General Electric. ConocoPhillips, Exxon, and Dow Chemical, and Boeing. And there is movement that you know, these things aren't good for the economy. They're good at you know picking winners and losers, and they're good at siphoning taxpayer dollars uh, to the politically connected, uh, but they're not good for innovation and entrepreneurship. And I think one of the things that's most frustrating about the XM financing is that it's hypocritical to what the administration uh, could be doing to promote free market policy solutions that would encourage domestic production. You know, they're financing benefits uh, Petrobras and Mexico's Pemex, but the administration is failing to open up America's federal lands and waters. Uh, they finance the liquefied natural gas terminal, but they're dragging their feet on uh, approving permits to export American LNG. So that's the yep. most frustrating thing to me, too. Yep. We're out of time for this week's America's Voice for Energy. Thanks for listening on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio.